Unfiltered Vitamin Z Season 3, Episode 3, Cameroon and South Africa, Racism and Climate Change. We're going to look at uh, agriculture and poverty analysis in Cameroon, you know, community forestry, sustainable development and trade. You know, situated in Central Africa with abundant rain and forest, Cameroon presents a case study of a poor, undeveloped African nation with natural resources that are being depleted like many other nations seeking to grow. Pollution has become a problem of the poor, as richer European countries have done their share of pollution and exploitation. Nevertheless, Cameroon seeks to reduce poverty. In most literature, much of the discussion regarding Cameroon relies on community forestry and assessments of its success on the nation. However, community forestry is a micro-example of larger and global macro-issues of sustainable development and trade. The World Trade Organization recognizes now more than 20 years ago the growing relationship between trade and environment. If a nation is to seek further growth and development, it has to do so within the means of the environment, which all nations share. Cameroon is seeking by 2035 to be an emerging economy, but the ideals and intention behind a social enterprise such as community forestry, community forestry need to be actualized. Of course, further research and analysis of the relationship between sustainable development, trade, and other micro cases of social enterprises, particularly related with the natural environment agriculture, is needed for individual nations of all economic levels, regionally and internationally. Uh, Cameroon presents an interesting case because of its history as a colony. The nation was a colony for the French and British who took over from Germany after World War I. Of course, the French took a more direct control of the region. The British ruled from afar in Nigeria as a, quote, colony of a colony. To the modern day, different cities speak French and English. Trade and colonialism, as well as the struggle for equity and poverty alleviation, are not new concepts or problems. However, they are being presented and examined in Cameroon as the global agenda shifts towards science, technology, and innovation-related issues and topics. The sustainable development goals laid out by the UN offer background for the global community as a, quote, a shared blueprint for peace and prosperity for people on the planet now and into the future, end quote, which helps guide new ideas and method uh, for trade and development for the richer nations and the ones historically disenfranchised. Environmental degradation, agriculture, and developmental theory have been discussed and researched in regard to African nations, but also in Southeast Asia. There are many poorer countries that will face tough effects of climate change while trying to grow and develop without causing the same amount of pollution as richer predecessors. African development in agriculture, however, is more of a Chinese concern in literature. China in recent years invests much throughout African agricultural education, land, and mining. Their own domestic agricultural woes because of degraded soil and air pollution with rising population demand for meat and dairy has prompted them to look towards Africa and also Latin America for possible future food security. Other papers have discussed the importance of forests in long-term sustainable manner, which is a big focus and concern for Cameroon. Uh, the reviews of community forestry in Cameroon specifically, however, illustrate a classical problem of an idea on paper being easier said than done because of inefficient organization. Community forests by international law are given to the communities that have been looking after them to continue to do so. However, there's not much implementation or guidance for a case-by-case -case regulation and protection of the forest and those that look after them. The major difficulties as to why community forestry has not been a bigger impact is because the government and lodging companies are being favored. Forests provide around the world almost one in five people a job. For Cameroon, the forest sector contributes to about 2-8% of the GDP and provides direct employment to 22,000 people. As a social enterprise and dominantly a poor man's profession, the hope would be that forests could be maintained with sustainability in mind while also alleviating poverty. 
However, of course, there are challenges for community forestry allocation because of the money, education, and time needed to carry out the proper applications and hurdles for legal status and distribution. Reluctantly, many communities have to make their own agreements with other actors, such as lodging companies, who can and have not honored such forestry management plans set out by the communities designated to maintain them. Quote, agricultural policies were closely linked to the politics of colonialism with emphasis placed exclusively on export crops. End quote. Cameroon has, sorry, they had only a decade of economic growth from the mid-1970s to the mid-80s and has since not recovered. Uh, Cameroon believes they can grow in 15 years through better trade policies and deals. Uh, the discussion of applying some classical theory to development for agricultural changes in Cameroon provides framework for the nation because of its heavy reliance on agriculture, which is around 32% of their GDP. Cameroon has altered its economy towards oil and food imports, but that is why trade and agriculture relationship is crucial because if the natural habitat is well maintained, the reliance and necessity for a lot of food import can decrease. Self-reliance in agriculture on a macro-international scale for nations is just as necessary as it is on the micro-scale of individuals and households. Even the most powerful nations, such as China and the U.S., still need to eat. Cameroon is in a different position than China because China doesn't have enough arable land for its large population. However, Cameroon is agriculturally rich, a lot of rainfall, a lot of forest areas, and by taking better care of their farmers, their people could live better lives slowly as international trade shifts. You know, a higher GDP and more money for corrupt politicians and their large company buddies doesn't enrich the lives of the average people in Cameroon. Uh, despite reduction in urban uh, poverty levels, there has been an increase in rural poverty levels from 52% in 2001 to over 56% as of 2014. Now, the increase is argued in other studies as due to, quote, global environmental change-related variables such as population growth and the inherent expansion of agricultural land through forest clearance, which results in uh, reduced soil organic carbon and nitrogen essential elements in crop, uh, crop growth, end quote. China also faces these similar domestic problems with a growing population in urban centers and reduction in land quality, but the government is seeking alternative methods to encourage more farmers. Cameroon has human and natural potential that needs to be utilized and appreciated better in the long run, not just increasing the trade for better cash flow that does not end up circulating around properly. And so, like, in conclusion, you know, at the, at the core of the disorganization is not just historical land acquisitions, colonialism, corruption, and poverty, but the negligence and ignorance of the government to allow their poor to continue caring for their natural forests with a business-as-usual attitude. For not only the goal of community forests, but sustainable development and growth in general, especially in regard to the natural lands at stake, there has to be a top-down and bottom-up system of validation and work. The WTO, the World Trade Organization, along with environmental NGOs, need more input to ensure national government and international community, and along with the natural habitats of the world, coincide with regulated trade and sustainable development policies that ensure nations like Cameroon can gain self-reliance and greater economic means while not sacrificing their natural environment. Cameroon specifically has only been toying with community forestry for the past 20 years. Globally, however, community forest management is responsible for the economic means of around 1.2 billion people, a majority of those being poor. And here's the thing. If you uh, read Factfulness by Hans Rosling, 10 Reasons Why We're Wrong About the World, if the classification and organization of countries and economic levels isn't, it's been a, he's been arguing that it's been outdated for a long time, even since the 90s, to say the third world or richer countries developed and developing. It's basically like four levels where you got the you got the top level 
with about a billion people, just as around a billion about this uh, on the lowest level, and then everybody's majority in the middle between the two, three, and four. I believe five levels. Sorry, I think there's one. The, he has a bottom one and a top one with a billion each, and then the three in between uh, has about a, a split between about five billion people, which is you know five out of seven, which is the majority of the world, or over more than half. So around one billion people is the same amount of people that live in the highest quality of life as the lowest, with the other five billion in between. The inequality in quality of life is not only gruesome but also pitiful, with those responsible for our forest and nature being deprived, while those live while others live in unprecedented material wealth. Those that ensure the quality of the environment need to be better compensated and organized because of the implications worldwide for all humans. Humans may kill each other and divide among races, but there's only one race, the human race, that is killing the planet and neglecting those most vulnerable to effects of climate change and abuses of power. And on to other topic, South Africa, STI analysis, right? So we're going to start off talking about, well, at the core of South Africa, when we want to look at anything new that they're going to try to do right now in science, technology, and innovation, we can't neglect racism, inequality, and apartheid. Many stakeholders and future stakeholders have to battle the history and context of South Africa. And though apartheid no longer exists, it is like a virus. Just because it has left the body, that doesn't mean the body gets cured. The legacy of apartheid is in itself an actor today and cannot be neglected in analyzing STI development in South Africa, no other nations. Inequality is a major roadblock to any sort of long-term sustainable change in development. Because having a white minority ruling a nation of Africans and then re-establishing a new nation in democracy only to have whites, which make up less than 9% of the country, have high rates of wealth and reach in the highest level of society and measurements of living is still a problem no matter what we call the government in South Africa. The fact that it is a democracy means it has implications for all democracies, especially in the case of the United States who are still dealing with and witnessing what South Africans already know too well about. Because this legacy of apartheid is a twofold legacy in which society diverges, where one has much interest to hold on to and the others have much to gain. A legacy and stakeholder were white inherited and continued to prosper from, the other side of that legacy being the trauma, damage to communities, and hindrance on societal growth due to segregation for the majority black folk in the nation. If STI is the wave of the future, either the past goes with it or the whole plane comes down. The past for South Africa can, I feel like it, it can be overcome through the future of STI and through the education preparedness of their people and migrants with knowledge. You know, it takes money to make money. South Africa has to hit their 1% to 1.5% goal of R&D instead of around 0.85% uh, from their GDP. So more money in means more researchers and better trained domestic professionals on green economy to educate new migrants. You know, some of the main STI programs in the last 30 years, they had the National Advisory Council on Innovation 2006, FAP, a Focus on Africa, the Green Economy Accord, Industrial Policy Action Plan 2011, National Climate Change Response Strategy 2011, New Growth Plan, African Union, and New Partnership for African Development. I don't know, I feel like through, through my research, you know, many programs lack consistency through time, meaning it seems different people with different agendas have sought strategies and development plans for national and regional implications at various times, but much of the sources I found of these programs were simply mentioning them in the context of other issues. My sensation, again, lies with other authors that there is a conversation that they're having going on on various STI issues. However, action is inefficient. Excuse me. 
Denmark and Finland are set to be of the first carbon neutral capitals and countries within a few years. And I don't think it's not because they're white, it's because they're largely homogenous without such a troubled history of South Africa's woes. They are also small in the northern Europe. Denmark is strict with migration because it can be. But South Africa is a hub for many sub-Saharan Africans. And it may be played off as a brick nation, but in many ways, it, it plays a bigger role regionally than does Denmark, especially with Germany there. South Africa has much more pressure and malice to feed, so their understanding and urgency of STI is not just out of environment's sake. Some of their main goals, you know, is a green economy transition and employment readiness, sustainability, particularly with water and agriculture, anti-corruption, open data, job growth, and diversion from fossil fuels. So this economic climate migration and labor readiness to transition to a green economy is not just uh, green jobs, but the education aspect at home to accommodate labor shortages and skills. Also, this grave danger of losing clean water and viable land for agriculture is a threat to us all. And South Africa is no exception, but is actually the perfect case and representation of many of these global uh, struggles with added racial tension like the United States. But actual you know, nationwide discussion and acknowledgement of the STI aspect of the international agenda, South Africans are aware of rising sea levels, polluted air, land, and, you know, are aware of running out of water as Cape Town almost did. They are aware and have first-hand experience with dealing with these domestic challenges as well as the external, but are limited to the innovation they could produce with science technology because of grandfather problems. Some of their main applications that I've noticed in STI has been, you know, climate uh, smart agriculture, land water management systems, surveillance as a producer, user, and importer, nanotechnology and ethics, and, you know, water usage, in the, as the, particularly the case of Cape Town. And, of course, a lot of these implications is, you know, a white ruling minority, as we stated earlier, with about 9% of the population, with fossil fuel dependency and degradation of the surface air and water, you know, this is maybe not a group easily willing to give up power and transition, not in a tribal political sense, but simply in an unnaive inspection and bottom-up validation of political authority and national goals. Exploitation of the earth has been an obvious economic development strategy, but now that economy has to change. The U.S. is also being roadblocked while race war and you know is a quarantine pastime show, with tech giants such as Amazon and Facebook benefiting greatly. The worries and struggles of the pandemic are being overshadowed. Not only is racial issues being a roadblock to STI development, but the focus and uses of such STI also shifts depending on who's in power and why. From global health to climate change to surveillance, other issues are neglected when the people feel neglected. Not just feel when they are neglected. The elites of nations like South Africa and the U.S. have tried to divide and conquer, but that only harms all, especially when agriculture, you know, maritime trade, climate change, migration, and surveillance are problems both nations face. So there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to do. And um, hopefully, you know, we can overcome a lot of these challenges because it's, it's in our best interest for, for our future generation. There was also a, one last thing I want to mention. There was an economist post, I believe, in the they have this app where it gives you like daily briefings and readings. And one of the things I read that it mentioned was that about COVID in Africa. And it mentioned specifically Algeria, Cameroon and South Africa as three to look for or possibly spiking cases. And it was interesting because I've written and researched South Africa and Cameroon as mentioned here in this podcast. Uh, but we're going to look at Algeria pretty soon too because, you know, there are brothers and sisters there. Uh, Algeria won the, you know, Africa uh, Cup of Soccer and they raised up the Palestine's flag along with their flag. So shout out to them. Shout out to Africa. And shout out to the world, baby. So, so take care and we'll see y'all soon.